0: this morning as we look at the word of god we've been in a series here in the last several weeks where we've been talking about being the people of god and so we're doing sort of spiritual spring cleaning if you will in the fall I don't know why we're doing that here but that's okay and so we've been we've been getting our spiritual house in order but what that's looked like really is the lord has directed us toward what it means to be a new covenant people and i don't mean that in terms of the church although that's our church name of course which is important but being a people of God's new covenant, a people who belong to Christ, what does that mean? And so we are a people who receive the word of God. We're a people who respond to him. We're a people of power and of the kingdom. We're a people of the covenant. We're a people of the word. We didn't really even do that one, but that's foundational. Uh, we are a people who, uh, who rejoice as a state of being and not as an emotion. And we're a people who are on mission and who evangelize and who trust him. These are all of the themes and the things that we've been talking about for the last seven weeks or so. And so this week, if you'll turn with me in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to talk about a little bit of application. Now, every sermon has had some application and things, of course, but these applications we're going to be talking about how do we live out what God's called us to do and what that means for us. And so we're going to take a moment we're going to look at the, the word, but we're going to have a discussion together. Um, before we do that, before we read this passage, I want to tell you a little story because I love stories. Um, one day I was, I was in Baghdad, and I was in Iraq, and I was um, in the army, and I had a mission going out at 3.30 in the morning. And at 1.10, my radio started going off in the morning at 1.10, and my boss, who is the commander of our company, was telling me, ordering me to come down to the motor pool to meet him. Have you ever had a boss call you and say, I want you to meet me at this place? Usually not a great thing. And so, uh, so I quick get my s- stuff together, and I ran down to the motor pool. where We have all the vehicles lined up. Excuse me. All the vehicles are lined up there. And I, I went to find him, and he was standing in the middle. And I went, walked up to him and you know greeted him and all that stuff. And he proceeded just to just tear me up, just screaming, yelling, words are coming out of his mouth. A lot of things are happening. And he was mostly upset because he had found vehicles that were unsecured, so they weren't locked. That's a big deal. He found stuff in the vehicles that weren't supposed to be there. That's a big deal. And they were not lined up straight and they didn't look, you know, it's the army, so everything's got to look good, right? And as he's yelling at me, I'm trying to talk to him because I don't, I I just inspected the vehicle. I don't, how did, I don't understand what's wrong. I just inspected them. And we're about to go out on this mission. Like everybody's going to come out in just a minute and get the vehicles and we're gonna drive away. So I, I mean, I understand that he's upset that they're not locked right now, but like we're leaving. This is like not the right time to be doing this. So he's yelling at me, yelling at me and my number two guy, his name was Sergeant Stearns and Sergeant Stearns is a very good Sergeant. And so he heard the radio chatter calling me to the motor pool and he was like, so he threw his stuff on and he was hiding behind the vehicles so he could hear what was happening so he could then you know, stuff rolls downhill is what they say, right? So, um, so he's listening, and I'm trying to, to get the word in, and finally the commander you know, takes a breath. And I said, sir, I said, sir, please. I'm so confused. I know you're upset. I, can you show me what's wrong? I don't understand. I just inspected him. Everything was fine like three hours ago. I don't know what happened. And he points over here, and he walks over, and he's like, these vehicles are a mess. And I said, sir, I said, with respect, my trucks are, are over here. These are my trucks. Those belong to another company. They're not even our trucks. And he looked at them, and he took his flashlight, because it's early morning, and he shined at the vehicle. And sure enough, it says different company name, and he says, oh, Whew. you, you want to watch a movie? <laughs> and my sergeant from behind the vehicles was like, what the, ah! and goes walking, I was like, no, sir, I, I'm leaving, like, we're, what, no, he goes, okay, next time, I, it was so confusing, I, have you ever had a boss like that, what in the world, where you're trying to meet the standard, you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to be respectful, and they're just, I, now, God bless that guy, you know, he was a genius at some things, and really not good at others. <laughs> And so we all have people like that. So I don't tell you that story to dishonor him. I say that story because we can all relate to weird situations with bosses. And I want to tell you this morning, we have a king on the throne. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the fullness of God pleased to dwell in him. In other words, he is God incarnate as a man. And when we look on Jesus Christ, we see the full revelation. That means the full information, the full download, the full package, the full everything of who God is, is in Jesus because he is God. There's no guessing. Now think about this. He's the image fully of the invisible God. And there are many, many, many people around the world who are worshiping images that are not even reflections of who God really is just reflections of his creation. And instead, God chose to give us himself, fully revealed that we would know him, and he's the best boss, he's the best manager, he's the best leader, he's the best one because he's our creator, our redeemer, our lord, our king, and we don't have to ask and question and guess what he's about or try to figure it out because he's so good and so clear and the fullness of God dwells in him. And it's not just little snippets that we have to guess about. How good is that, that he actually responds to us when we pray because he can speak instead of something of gold or bronze or stone that can't do anything? Our God is a living God. And so now as we come to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking and he is preaching about things. And here's what he says about the kingdom of God and about being anxious. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Praise the Lord for his word. Did you know that Jesus said, for my kingdom's sake and for my sake, interchangeably about half the time in the Gospels. So when he's speaking and he tells the the disciples, do this for my sake, about half the time, he would also use interchangeably for my kingdom's sake. Do you know when we seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness, we're not just seeking an idea. We're not looking for Camelot with a round table. We're seeking him, the king of the kingdom, the fullness of God who is, who is now embodied for us. And Jesus is saying to us that we should seek him and not be anxious about all these other things because God provides for us in his own time. And he uses these great examples, doesn't he? of the birds and the, the flowers of the field and how they're clothed and how birds, isn't it amazing that, that animals live through the winter? I mean, so, have you ever thought about that? Or deer, like how are deer still okay when Highway 40 is right here? And there's, you know, there's like 14 that live right back here. Every once in a while, I'll pull into church and there'll be just deer all over the place. Because there's, deer, there's turkey that live back here. How is that possible? If you grew up in St. Louis, I grew up in St. Louis, I never remember seeing turkey. Never. And now there's turkey all over the place. It's so interesting how God cares for his creation. And more than that, he cares for people because he made you in his image. And we shouldn't be anxious because we're seeking him and his kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, don't sow seeds and grow crops and those kind of things. It doesn't mean don't go to work and just all day you should pray. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying your life should be oriented toward and focused on Christ and what he's about and that as you're doing his work and as you are following him, he'll add these other things to you. And that's good news, isn't it? Because he's the creator and sustainer of the whole world telling us to do that. Turn with me in your Bible now, please, to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. I have page 1014, that helps you. It's toward the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's the question, though. If God is so good and we're supposed to follow him, and he's the best manager, he's the best leader, he's the best executive, he's the best father, he's everything, he's the best one to lead us, and he provides for us if we're seeking him in his kingdom, what should we do then? What are we actually supposed to do? And this question has plagued a lot of people because at the end of the day, especially people who have been uh, plagued with this idea of trying to figure out what God is about and what's common in the world and having this false dichotomy that God only cares about these holy things like going to church and praying and he doesn't care about any of these common things like going to work. And so sometimes this dichotomy happens where people have two ideas in their head, that, ser- ser- that seeking the kingdom and searching for Jesus means I have to go be a missionary and pray all day, and if I don't do that job, God won't really hear my prayers. And that's not what Jesus said. In fact, the very example he used about the birds and the flowers are very common things, aren't they? They're very common. And so God provides for those common things and splendor even, And when we search search for God and we seek him, it doesn't mean that we have to only do these holy jobs and that God hears from us. It means that whatever we do, and Paul tells us this, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do everything into the glory of God. And so we cannot have a false dichotomy of, if my work is holy and good, it only looks like these things that are missionaries and serving in the church and that stuff, and it doesn't equal regular work. Those things are not holy and we can't do those things for God. I'm telling you that because it's so often that people get confused about this, they, they lose their way. And they start seeking these things over here where they're trying to do things to earn God's favor instead of just living in what he's called us to do. And so we're going to read in Second Peter what Peter tells us, excuse me, in 1 Peter chapter 2, what Peter tells us is the, the actual will of God for us. Let's read it together. We're going to start at verse 9. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says this, you're a chosen race. Boy, he starts off bold, doesn't he? Now, who's he talking to? The Jews? You are a chosen race. We're only five words in. We're stopping. Sorry about that. You're a chosen. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. And now this church is inclusive of Jewish people, Gentile people. He's not talking about an actual race in terms of skin color. He's talking about the people of God who have been changed by God and made into his people. And he says, you're a chosen race, in verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't God's mercy so good? David read today, he's rich in mercy. Have you ever met somebody who's stingy in mercy? God is rich. He has never-ending resources of grace, and his mercy is rich. It's new every morning. He's so good to us. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you then, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as a people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You know, this is the same emperor who is seeking Christians and throwing them in jail. This is the same emperor who eventually is going to take Peter And have him hung upside down on a cross and murdered for his faith? And Peter tells the church, honor the emperor. Why is Peter saying this? Notice he starts off in this identity of who you are. A royal priesthood. A chosen nation. You're a people for God's own possession. As those who have been changed by God, and you are his. Now out of that identity, which is what we've been talking about really for the past seven weeks... Your identity in Christ as a new covenant people, a people of the covenant, a people of power, a people of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's Jesus Christ died for us. He took the wrath of sin. All of God's wrath poured out unto him and all of his righteousness instead given to us. And if you believe in Jesus, if you confess with your mouth and speak it and say, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. If you confess your sins to him, you're going to be saved. This is the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation, and it's life to us. And now, through that common identity of knowing the gospel, we've been made into a new people, a royal priesthood. What does a priesthood do? What do you think? What does a priesthood do? What do you think? You can actually answer. We're going to it's OK. What do you think? They intercede, for they intercede for others, right? Yes. What else do priests do? Conduct the riddle... Yeah, if you want to know about religious things, you find a priest, right? Yeah. Serve. The church. serve. They serve the church. Amen. Teach. They teach everybody the Word of God. These are the instructions. Now, here's the interesting thing. What did Jesus say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples. Priests make disciples. Rabbis, which is a fancy word for teacher... Teachers make disciples because priests were given the duty of teaching the Word of God to people. Scribes, on the other hand, were given the duty of making sure that things were recorded correctly and copying because they didn't have copy machines. There were no FedEx offices to go to at this time. And so instead, they'd take the Word of God and parchments and scrolls and copy it to make sure that it was exact. But priests would take that word of God and give it to the people, showing them how they should live. And Jesus says, now go, therefore, make disciples, because you've been made priests, which is shocking to those hearing it. And they're supposed to take those disciples and do what? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who are the only people we see baptizing? John the Baptist called Pro to be a prophet of God. Jesus said there was no greater prophet in the entire of the New Testament than John. And now you're supposed to follow in those footsteps as priests and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And Jesus said even beyond that, teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. And I will be with you. I will empower you. And it's in this same vein that Peter now is saying your identity has been changed. And you're in Christ. And as a person in Christ, you've been made a royal priesthood now for him. To do these functions and to minister to God and to minister to people. You've been empowered. You've been commissioned. You've been made worthy. Even though you once were unworthy. You once hadn't received mercy, but now you have. You once walked in darkness, but now you're in light. You've been made worthy. And what happens to us when we start opening our mouths to tell somebody about Jesus? The first thing that comes in your head is, you're not worthy. Don't say that. And it happens to every one of us. Because our fight's not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And they whisper those things to try to stop you from being who you are made to be. And here's the great thing. The will of God is not, go to Cambodia and be a missionary. And maybe God will tell you that. So if God's telling you that, we need to talk about that. God can tell you to do whatever he wants to do. But that holy calling, notice Peter doesn't say that. He doesn't say those who are called a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, they're going to go do be missionaries, and they're going to go do church work. He doesn't say that at all. You know, Jesus doesn't even say that. He tells us to have people enter the church through baptism. That's the entrance into the church through salvation, knowing him, obeying, following, doing doing this priestly work. But why is he doing that? Because his kingdom is over all things. His kingdom is even bigger than the church. And so God's plan for us, his will for us, what does Peter say? What is the will of God? Verse 15, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Well, How do I do that? Live as people who are free. But not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. How do I live as a servant of God? Jesus said it this way seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. How do I do that? Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And he goes on to tell servants that they should be good servants for their master's sake. He goes on to tell wives that they should love their husbands. He goes on to tell husbands that they, should, that they should love their wives and they should serve them and submit themselves so that they can have goodness together. He goes on to show what it looks like to have these great relationships in marriage where we're not just fighting against each other, but we're walking in lockstep. A great marriage is a great testimony. It is a great testimony. But even masters and slaves, and all these other relationships he talks about, and children with their parents, and all these kind of things, in all the normal things of life, the testimony of you as a chosen race, as a royal priesthood, shines before other people as you live a life where you seek first the kingdom. How do you seek first the kingdom? The first thing you do is realize we've come out of darkness and into light. And if we walk into darkness, we immediately repent. Did you know there is no gospel without repentance? And yet the world is trying so hard to make repentance a thing of the past. It is countercultural now to say you're sorry. I saw just an article the other day that had psychological tips for success. Here are some psychological things that you can do. So, for instance, one of the things in the article was, if you're ever in a verbal altercation about something, speak quietly. Don't yell and shout. As other people start shouting, just speak quietly, and it will force the other people to come in, and they have to listen, or they get really angry, and they just storm off. So there's like psychological things you could do to have the upper hand, one of which was never say you're sorry. Never apologize. You don't ever want to look weak. And this is what the world is telling the business world that they need to do to get ahead. If you never apologize... You know, don't, I'm sorry I'm late. Don't ever do that. Instead, say, thank you for your patience. What you're really saying is, I'm more important than you. So you waited for me, and you were right to do so. That's what they're telling. What is that? What is that? And then we're shocked that we have children who are uncoachable and unteachable and unemployable. And children who are wandering and they they have no idea what they should do with their life. And Peter basically says, follow God and do what he tells you to do. And ready? In the mundane of life. Not in the missionary call. Although if God calls you to the missionary, again, we'll talk about that because that's good. But in the mundane of life, as children love their parents and submit to them, as husbands and wives have a good marriage together, as we serve our masters, even the worst bosses. You know, I had a, a... Policy with that bad boss. He was a bad boss. Um, he really was. He was a bad boss. And um, my policy I told, I was in charge of 45 guys. And I told them, I said, listen, I will go to bat three times for something that I think is wrong, unless it's unethical. If it's unethical, that's different, right? But if it's, if it's a lawful order and we are ordered to do something, we're gonna do it. And if I disagree, I will go to bat three times. And if the commander on the third time says, just do it, then we are going to execute that mission. And sometimes those were dangerous things. Sometimes those were things that I did not agree with. Sometimes those had bad effects. But my soldiers knew this is how we do things. They also knew that's what they could do with me. Sir, I disagree with this. I understand that. This is what the orders is what we're going to do. Sir, I'm coming again. I disagree. How about we do this? Here's another plan. What if we tried this way? Nope, we're gonna do this. Sir, I'm coming a third time. Please, I'm I'm asking you. I disagree. Here's some thoughts. What if we do this? Just do it. Roger that. And sometimes in the execution of doing something with all of your will, it was better than going half-hearted. And I'm telling you that because we all have bad bosses. What does it look like to be respectful to a boss who's shouting at you and cussing you out for somebody else's trucks at 1:10 in the morning when you're about to go on a 24-hour mission? What is that? And then who's so lonely, he wants to watch a movie? Well, what are we doing? And yet you can stand and just rest in who you are and who God's made you and say, Lord, I trust you more than I trust this boss. So three times I'm going to ask, and then I will execute whatever is happening because I trust you, Lord, more than I trust these things. Again, I'm not talking about unethical things. right? If your boss tells you to steal money, you cannot do that. Don't do those things. But I'm talking about if it's a lawful thing and it's just weird, let it go. Because you and I both know in the workplace, in school, in your own family, what does it look like to just bring respect to people? and stand and rest in who you are. Aren't you a shining beacon? And that's in the mundane. How do you be a missionary in your own family? Well, We all have that great uncle or that weird aunt or that whatever grandpa is always going to have the bad jokes. We always have that guy that comes a little loaded. We, always have, we have those in our family, don't we? And what does the, everybody else do? Do they love them or do they vilify them? vilify them. And you see how it tears the family apart. So instead, you stand with righteousness as a priest of God to show what it looks like to have repentance and love and grace. And you communicate that to everybody. You know, uh, when I was in the Army, even in in family situations and stuff too, but when I was in the Army specifically, soldiers are weird. Soldiers do dumb stuff. Um, Dumb stuff. I was a military policeman, and my first ever... (laughs) My first ever call for military police stuff was a guy in a barracks who um, had been drinking too much, and they decided they were going to form a rock band. And so at like 2 in the morning, they've got their rock band in the barracks. So imagine you're in a hotel, basically, and you're one of the hotel rooms next to you is just drums, electric guitar, they're going for it. Drunk, just playing the music. And the guitarist of this band got really excited, and he started doing like that rock thing where you like break your guitar. And so he you know, hit the drums, and the drummer's like, what the heck? And then he hit the drummer, and so now there's just a brawl. <laughs> and so, so the first time, I get called out there, and they're all sitting there. And I'm like, guys, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, we were dumb. Like, you know, they're, they're, army guys are dumb sometimes, let's be honest. But the ones that were the worst were the wives of my soldiers. And I'm saying that because every time we'd have a function, the wives wanted to see if they could make me fall. Because if they can make the leader do something dumb, they can hold it over you later. And so they would do—they would do weird stuff. And um, I remember one time, I had somebody, and we were at this this party thing, and a group of the wives came over, and all the soldiers like retreated. And um, they all had drinks, and they were like, "Drink these as fast as you can." And I was like, "No, I'm good." And like, What's, "What do you mean?" I was like, "No, I'm, I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that." And like, "You're no fun." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm no fun. Sorry." like, you're super no fun. I'm like, yep. And there's like 12. And this, my buddies fell for it. Fell for it. Oh, wow. You know, if, a, if the leader, think about this, if your manager gets a DUI on the way home from the office party, what happens to your office? It's not good, is it? No. But this was a plan. This was planned. And it was weird how that goes. And I'm telling you this, everybody's like, ugh, I'm sorry for that weird story. I'm, this is what the world is like. Yeah. But this is what Peter's saying is, in your freedom... Don't use your freedom for evil. It doesn't mean you can't go to the office party. I can't do that. I'm holy. I won't go to the office party. But it means use your freedom and stand in it as a priest in righteousness in the mundane. Because now you stand in there and say, I trust the Lord. I'm not going to do that. And the fact, I'll tell you what, I had a conversation shortly thereafter with one of my sergeants who was for sure an alcoholic. And he said, how, how could you not drink those? And I was like, I don't need them. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, he said this to me. Do you know how long it took me to act sober when I'm drunk so I could get through checkpoints? You know how long it took me to fake it that I wasn't drunk when I'm driving? And I was like, dude, you got this is you need Jesus. <laughs> this is not a good way to live. And guess what? This is the world, folks. This is what it's like. How can you be a holy missionary, not in that idea of the dichotomy, but instead you are where God's put you to be a beacon, to be the hope to people who don't know how to live without that darkness. And now you stand there just being yourself and light shines out of you onto everybody because you're respectful and you're kind. You honor the emperor who ultimately is going to kill you. What does that mean? It means you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. You trust Jesus. You look to him. Everything you do is about him. And as a priest of righteousness, there are places you cannot go, but also truth that you give as you teach everybody around you. This is what it looks like just through my example. And guess what? We fail. We mess up. We do all kinds of things. You yell at your kids in front of other moms, and they're like, oh, great. My my, hum shot. God is good, and his mercy is new every morning. And as we serve him, as we come before him, as we seek his kingdom and be the people God has made us, the Lord uses us in the mundane to do holy things in places that are unholy. What is the will of God? The will of God is your sanctification. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, The will of God for you is your sanctification that you would cast away sexual immorality and lying and all the ways that you used to live, and now you live as those who are holy unto God. What is the Lord's will for your life? Maybe he'll send you to Cambodia, but his will for your life is that you would live as a royal priest in his presence, in the mundane of normal life, that you would explain to everyone around you who Jesus is, teaching them, showing them to make disciples, to go, therefore, out of that lit, nice place and into the dark places where the light comes from within you because he's with you. And God is so good and so kind and so wonderful that even if he will clothe the flowers in the field, even if he will give birds food to eat when they don't have harvests or plant crops, He provides us with the words, with the provision, with the life, with the moments, with the friends, with all the things that we can actually do what he's called us to do. And so don't forsake the will of God in your own life that he has called you to be a royal priest in his presence and to honor him through what you do. Uh, Today we were talking about sort of the darkness of the dark. Know for certain. That God, who's the God of light, shines in you because he is with you. How did Jesus end his commission to the church? And lo, lo means behold. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. You and I will fail. But Jesus Christ, as we seek him in his kingdom, he will add all these things. He never fails. His grace never runs out. His mercies are new every morning. And in the mundane of life, if you find yourself in weird situations and you're like, why, Lord, have you given me this crazy boss? And it's okay also to pray, Lord, I need a new boss. That's okay to pray that. But in the meantime, can you stand with respect? Can you tell the truth? Be who God's called you to be. And don't let that boss dictate your identity to you. Let the master of life our Savior Jesus, dictate our identity to us. Amen? Amen. Will you stand? I'm going to pray for you. God is good, isn't he? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you sent your Son who died and rose again, that we could have life. Lord, our whole lives hinge on your gospel. Because without you, without your perfect life and death and resurrection, without you providing salvation for us, We are nothing. But Lord, thank you that it wasn't just salvation, but it's also a calling. It's also a royal priesthood. Lord, thank you that you have given us power and the covenant and life. Thank you that you've made us as people who will rejoice. Thank you that you have given us your will, that we don't have to wonder what you want as a boss and as a leader. But instead, from your very word, we know that you have called us, even in the mundane of life, to seek you, to find you, because you will be found. And Lord, to honor you by doing what you've called us to do as priests. Lord, this week I ask you, God, that you will give us moments, divine moments, that you have orchestrated, not just for our character to shine, but Lord, give us fruit and harvest. Lord, I ask you that you will cause people, Lord, to see us and to see the light shining on their own lives, and that we would be quick, not with good ideas, but Lord, with your gospel, to change people and see them brought to salvation in you. And Lord, we know that you're the only one who can change hearts. So we ask you, Lord, that you would do it. Do it in our families, God. Do it in our workplaces. Do it in our schools. Lord, do it in our, in our clubs, in our, in our gyms. Lord, do it everywhere we go. The gas station where we usually fill up gas. Lord, I pray for the attendant that they will be filled with your Holy Spirit and they will know your salvation. Father, the places we get coffee, Lord, let them ring with your praises instead of with the complaints of the morning. Father, the grocery stores that we go, Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would show your character at those grocery stores. Lord, that the people who check out the groceries, the people who run those stores, Lord, by our interaction with them, they would see the respect that we have and they would know that we are priests and that, Lord, you would give us opportunity to speak your word into their lives. Father, bring a harvest in St. Louis, Lord, and use it starting where we are. Use us, God, unworthy vessels. But, Lord, with your power, with your commission, with your calling, Lord, we can do all things that you've called us to. We seek you, God, and your kingdom. Lord, thank you that you add all these other things to us, and we trust you. Let the call of the Father, let the power of the Son, and let the indwelling of the Holy Spirit fill you that you might know that you are walking in the center of his will as you do holy work, even in unholy places. God bless you and keep you. He is with you. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week, and we'll see you Wednesday at 7 o'clock.